Welcome to Directions in Rashi, a podcast that will help you understand individual comments from Rashi throughout the Chumash, and that will also introduce you to some of the general principles which I feel uh, directed Rashi in his creation of his commentary, and that will help us to understand his commentary better all around. In chapter 2 of Parshas Vayikra, the Torah tells us the instructions for a korban mincha, for a grain offering. And the Pasuk begins, Pasuk Aleph, the nefesh ki sakrev korban mincha l'ashem, when a person will bring a korban mincha, a grain offering to Hashem, seilas ye korbanoi, his korban will be made of fine flour, v'yatsaka leho shemen, and he will pour upon it oil, v'nasana leho levainoa, and he will uh, give, put upon it lavoina, frankincense, a very uh, fine-smelling fragrance. Now, the Pasuk begins with the word benefesh, a soul, literally a soul. And Rashi notes that this is not the word that the Torah normally uses for person. The normal word, and in general, and particular in Parshas Vayikra, in the Parshias that deal with korbanos, the word is Adam or Ish, and here the Torah uses the word Nefesh. So Rashi comments, nefesh nedava Regarding all the other voluntary korbanos, there are some korbanos which, which one must bring in certain circumstances, for example, if one did certain sins. But here we're talking about korbanos nedava. We're talking about voluntary korbanos. But Rashi says the word Nefesh is only used uh, among, uh, regarding any voluntary korban only in relation to the korban mincha, to this grain or- offering. And Rashi says, mincha, whose way is it to volunteer to bring a korban mincha? Ani, it is the poor man. Because uh, flour is much cheaper than bringing uh, an animal korban, such as a sheep or, or a bull. It is the poor man who would tend to bring a korban mincha. So Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so God says about this person, Male ani alav ke'ilo hikriv nafshoi. I consider it about this person, I, I accept it from this person, as if he has brought his own soul. The question that must be raised about this Rashi is that we already had previously in, in uh, Perak Aleph a korban, which Rashi identifies also as a korban of a poor person, and yet there, it did not use the word nefesh. The Torah in Perak Aleph is talking about korban oila, about a class of korbanos which are where the uh, the item that is being brought is completely burned up on the mizbech. No part is eaten, uh, not by the kohanim and not by the person bringing the korban. And in Pasuk Yudalit, the Torah says, If his sacrifice to Hashem is a burnt offering, from birds, so he shall bring it from turtle doves or from young from turtle doves or from young doves. And the pasuk goes on to give some of the instructions. There's a special way of slaughtering these korbanos called malika, where the korb, where the kohen uses his fingernail to slit the neck of the animal, and other instructions. And then in Pasuk Tez Zion, it says, 
uh, let's go to Pasuk Yud Zion. The Pasuk says, uh, After the animal has been slaughtered, so the Koyan must split it open, with its wing feathers still intact. He should not cut it completely apart. And then the Koyan will cause it to go up in smoke upon the Mizbeach. Now, Rashi notes that the knafav, that the wing feathers of an animal, when burnt, make an extremely foul odor. Rashi says, No, every, any simple, any person, even the simplest of people, a person who is not particularly refined, but when he smells the bad smell of wing feathers being burnt, his, he finds it repulsive. His soul becomes disgusted by it. So why does the Torah say that we must cause the entire bird, including, including its wing feathers, to go up in smoke? This is in order that the Mizbeach should appear to be sated and satisfied and glorified with the korban of Ani, of a poor man who could not afford a big uh, sheep or cow for his korban oila, he was only able to bring a small bird. Now, why is this relevant to us? Because here Rashi has identified that the oila sa'if, this burnt offering of a bird, is korbanoi shal ani. It is the korban of a poor man. And yet nowhere in these psukim about the oila sa'if does it use the word nefesh. And Rashi said before that the reason the Torah used the word nefesh regarding the korban mincha is because it's the poor man's korban. So the question is, what happened by the oila sa'if, which also is the poor man's korban, according to Rashi, and yet there it does not say the word nefesh. The very fact that I am raising this question uh, reveals to us two very important principles about Rashi's commentary on the Chumash. And if not for these two important principles, my question would not be a question. Principle number one is that Rashi's commentary on the Chumash is a consistent commentary. It is not merely a, a nice collection of nice thoughts where uh, one thought here and one thought over there uh, might contradict each other, but they're both uh, beautiful and uh, inspiring and useful in each one's own rights. Rashi is, pre presents to us a consistent commentary on the Torah. And therefore, if Rashi establishes a certain principle, such as that when the Torah is talking about the korban of a poor man, it uses the word nefesh, soul, so then that principle should be consistently followed throughout the Torah. Uh, secondly, we are touching here on a question which is discussed by some of the classic super commentaries on Rashi. As you probably know, there are literally hundreds of commentaries that have been written over the generations in which great rabbis have um, attempted to explain Rashi's commentary on Chumash. And one of the issues that they deal with is called Midrashim Chalukim. That is, differing Midrashim. There are some commentators, very great ones, who say that it could be in certain places Rashi quotes a Midrash, 
let's say on Pasuk A, he might quote a certain Midrash, and then maybe somewhere else in the Torah, he will quote a different Midrash that disagrees with the first one. Now, we know there are many, many disagreements in the Midrash. The Midrash, when we say the word Midrash, first of all, we're referring, we're, we are referring to many different works, Midrash Rabbah, Midrash Tanchuma, etc., etc. And within those works, there are the we find the opinions of many different rabbis. Certainly, there are differences of opinion. There is, there is Machloikas. And there are some commentators who say that Rashi will quote one Midrash in one place, and in another place, he will explain a Pasuk according to a different Midrash, which happens to disagree with the first. However, my personal opinion is that this is very unlikely. And it's not just my personal opinion, it's the opinion of some of the great uh, Rashi commentators. For example, one of the classic com super commentaries, known as Devik Tov, uh, raises this possibility that Rashi would quote differing Midrashim, but he says, this is a Dvar Tema. This is a, this is a thing of wonderment to say such a thing. That the intelligent uh, opinion, the intelligent mind cannot accept this. Shatana Eloki, that this divine teacher, Rashi Zal, Rashi, is the whole intent of his soul, his whole goal was to explain the Torah in such a way that there will be no doubts as to what the Torah is saying, and to show us the beauty of the Torah, to, to, to benefit us by reconciling the various Sukim by reconciling the the many places where the Torah seemingly contradicts itself, and Rashi's goal was to help us by reconciling those those contradictions. So it just cannot be understood. It it can't be said, uh, says the Devak Tov, that Rashi would explain one pasuk according to one midrash and another pasuk according to a different midrash that disagrees with the first. This would simply create a confusion and would circumvent one of Rashi's major purposes in writing his commentary. And so we must try to find a resolution to this apparent contradiction in Rashi. One of the ways that I have found very useful in resolving problems in understanding Rashi is that when we find when we have a difficulty in a particular Rashi comment, is we need to go to someplace else in the Torah that addresses a similar or related issue and see what Rashi says about it. As we said before, Rashi's commentary is a consistent commentary. So one of the best ways to explain one Rashi comment is to find another Rashi comment in another place that addresses a similar or related topic. In this case, let's go to Parshas Achremois, chapter 17, and let's take a look at Pasuk Yud and Yud Aleph, which discuss the very well-known prohibition of eating blood. Now the Pasuk says, Pasuk Yud, Ve'ish ish mi beis Yisrael, any man from the house of Israel, any Jew, or of any convert who dwells amongst you, asher yoichal called dam, who will eat any blood, v'nasati fanai banefesh ha'echeles esadam, I will place my attention upon this person who has eaten the blood, 
and I will cut him off from among his people. This person will uh, suffer in early death, which is the punishment of Chorus. And the Pasuk continues, Ki nefesh badomhi, because the soul of every flesh, meaning the soul of every animal, of every living, be- living being, badomhi, it's in its blood. And I have therefore given the blood to you to be placed upon the Mizbeach, to atone for your souls. Since the blood of an animal is its soul, so therefore I commanded you to bring korbanos and to slaughter animals and put their blood upon the Mizbeach to be for you a kapora. For it is the blood that atones for the soul. Now Rashi explains this. The Torah is here giving us explicitly a reason why it forbids dam. And this is how Rashi explains the Pasuk. The soul of every creature is dependent upon its blood. The, the life force is in the blood. And therefore I gave it, I commanded it to be placed upon the Mizbeach, in order to atone for a person's soul, for the person who has sinned. Let the blood, let the soul of one creature come and give kapora and make atonement for another living soul, that of a person who has done a sin. Rashi's explanation of how a korban works is very similar to the explanation given by Ranban in Parshas Vayikra, Perak Aleph Pasuk Tes, also in the Sefer Achinuch, uh, Mitzvah Tzadihei, Mitzvah 95. And that is that a person who does a sin, even a very small sin, really deserves to have his life taken away. His life was given to him by the Creator, by Hashem, and this person has dared to rebel, has dared to not follow the commandments of Hashem. Really, according to the strict Midas Adin, according to the strict attribute of justice, this person has no right to existence. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu is very kind, and he says, as the Ramban explains it, that if you will take a living animal, an animal that in physical aspects is almost identical to you, a sheep, a cow, has essentially all the same limbs and organs that you do, and you will slaughter that animal. And while you're slaughtering it, you will think, I should be slaughtered. And you will take the blood of that animal and collect it in a vessel, and you will think, my blood should now be being collected in a vessel. And you will take that blood and you will pour it on the Mizbeach. And you will and you will think at that moment, that should be my blood going on the Mizbeach. If you will do all of this with the proper thoughts, with the proper intent, so then HaKadosh Baruch Hu will forgive you for your sin. And this is how they explain how a Korban works. And this is essentially what Rashi is saying in Parsha Sachremais. According to all of this, we can now understand why the Torah wrote the word nefesh by the Korban Mincha, the grain offering, 
because it is the offering of a poor man, but it did not write that word nefesh regarding the oil sa'if, the bird korban, which, as Rashi says, is also normally brought by a poor person. The, the difference is because a korban, a korban mincha is different than all other korbanais, because all other korbanais follow the reasoning that Rashi, Ramban, Sefer HaChinuch give as to how a korban works, that one takes a living being that is physically the same as he himself, and one slaughters it and one thinks of one's own blood being shed and being, being thrown upon the Mizbeach. All of that works by korbanos made out of sheep and goats and rams and, and, uh, and cows and bulls, but does not apply to a korban made out of grain. When it comes to a korban made out of grain, not only is this korban cheaper, less expensive than the average korban, but it doesn't really have what it takes to make a korban. And it's therefore only by that korban mincha that the Torah says, nefesh, that even though this poor man has not really brought an item which is fit to be a korban, because it is not a living being that has blood in it. Nonetheless, still, it is as considered as if he has brought his own soul. The korban oila the korban of a bird, although it is cheaper, as Rashi points out, it's less expensive than a big bull or a cow, but it is a korban. It follows the normal rules of korbanis. It qualifies as a regular korban. And so that even though it is a poor man's version of a korban, but really in its essentials, it's every bit as much of a korban as any other. And it was not necessary for the Torah to say nefesh, that even though it's lacking, Hashem still accepts it. It's obvious that it's accepted because it fulfills all the normal requirements for a korban. The question remains, why, in fact, does HaKadosh Baruch Hu accept a korban mincha that is brought by the poor man? Uh, it's true that, that he was unable to bring anything better, but if you don't bring, if he's not bringing something which qualifies to be a korban, then, then how does it work? So perhaps we can explain, according to the words of the, the author of the Tanya, the Alter Rebbe, who talks about in Perik Lamed Zion, about the various degrees of tzedakah. And he says, what about somebody who is What if you have someone who does not, is not supported by the work of his own hands? Someone who is supported by the work of his own hands. Someone who toils and works, sometimes even puts himself into a certain amount of danger in the line of his work. And then he gives away money. So that is a tremendous mitzvah that he has given away what he has worked so hard for. But what about someone who is uh, living off of an inheritance or he's he's sitting and learning and someone is supporting him and he gives away some of that money to Sadaka, but he didn't work for that money. So why does he get such a big reward for giving Sadaka? Or does he get such a big reward? So the Balatanya says the following words. Since with these coins that he is giving away, 
he could have purchased for himself life, essential life for his soul. In other words, he could have bought bread and other food to literally keep himself alive. So by giving away this money, he is a giving away of his own life to Hashem. So it doesn't matter whether he's earned this money himself or not, but this is the money that keeps him alive, and he's willing to give away some of it for tzedakah, some of it for Hashem. So that is a uh, that is a very tremendous mitzvah of tzedakah. Similarly, you have a poor man. He cannot afford to bring a living being as his korban and to have the blood shed and to think about how that ought to be his own blood and so on, as Ramban and the Chinuch explain. But he does take grain. He does take bread. He takes the flour from which he could have made bread to keep himself alive. And he gives that away to Hashem in the form of a korban mincha. So that in itself, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, counts as if he has given away his own life, that he is willing to, to at least symbolically, to, to sacrifice himself upon the Mizbeach. In conclusion, I hope I have helped you see some of the profundity and consistency of Rashi's commentary on the Torah. Thank you for listening to Directions in Rashi with Yochanan Joseph, author of the book Directions in Rashi, available from Feldheim Publications. Production aspects were carried out by Minagain Music. Visit them online by going to facebook.com slash